Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Verse 6, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land. All right, night. one of the repeated characteristics in this confession is the, the numerous mentions of their persecuting the prophets. Uh, let's look at a few of those, those realities. Look at Second Chronicles 36, which we've read so much in this class you should have memorized. Second Chronicles 36, and we'll read verses 15 and 16. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Again, those are terrifying words in the word of God. Uh, Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13, um, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth, that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Look at chapter 3. So the, the purpose for the prophets was to warn Israel, you're headed towards chastening. And God raised up the prophets betimes. That means early and often, constantly. And they refused to listen. So Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Now, knowing that, does God love you? 
You look scared to say yes. <laughs> if the answer is yes, that means this verse applies to you. This the Lord loves me. He thinks everything I do is wonderful. No, he's about to get his belt out and turn you over his knee. He doesn't think everything you do is wonderful. I know where you got that stupid idea. Get it out. You should be concerned that God might have to chasten you and do everything you can not to be chastened. Israel despised God's chastening, and the prophets warned them of the coming danger, so they just, mocked, they just, they just went after the prophets. If you're going to tell me God's going to punish me for what I'm doing, well, then we're going to, we're going to go after you. Well, that makes sense. That'll, that'll fix it. <laughs> like, what, what do you think that's going to accomplish? Like, well, God will forget about it if I take out the messenger? No, it doesn't work that way. Daniel openly admits they have no excuse. Now, think about this. This is who the message went to. The kings, the princes, the fathers, And then all the people. So who got left out? <laughs> Nobody. God sent his message. He sent, he sent his warnings through his prophets to everybody. And then they just started attacking the prophets and going after the prophets. Not a smart thing to do. Daniel 9 verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. But unto us, confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespasses, that they have trespassed against thee. Now what happened to Israel? Who remembers? They were taken captive in Assyria. And then uh, Judah is taken captive into Babylon. So he, he covers everybody here in this verse. Um, this, this applies to, to all of them. Um, but the, the key, look at it again. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. That, that, when it comes to the, there are two parts to this. You need to fear God and you need to understand he's righteous. And if he's righteous, if you fear him and he's righteous, these two things are going to tailor your behavior. They're going to make you change the way you act. If you don't fear God and you don't understand he's righteous, this is the mistake Israel made. Look at Romans 10. It's a terrible mistake to make. Romans 10, we'll read verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted, submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now think about this. God is righteous, correct? And then you go and you establish your own righteousness. And you supplement this 
for God's righteousness. So when you talk about God's righteousness, what, you, what many people are actually talking about is their own righteousness. But if you've submitted yourself to your own made-up form of righteousness, guess what you haven't done? You haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. You're just going to make things up and do what you want and say that God thinks it's okay. And that's exactly what people do for the Lord. <laughs> they feel like there are no limitations. What they'll do is they'll say, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's that verse? I can't even think of it right now. It just came to mind and it disappeared quickly. Uh, uh, you know, f- to have no respect of holy days or let every man pers- be persuaded in his own mind. Okay, so if we're not, if we're supposed to have no respect for an holy day and what that means is you can celebrate any holiday you want, are you going to celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month? Why not? So, so then there's some limitations on that, right? If, if it's, well, just let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Okay, are you going to smoke marijuana? Anybody? No? Why not? If you can persuade yourself that it's righteous, why not do it? So there's limitations on these two passages that get used to permit Christians to do whatever they want. They said, well, just let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Okay, you're going to go get drunk this weekend? You're going to go commit fornication this weekend? My pastor used to get calls from these liberal churches who would say, um, we're having a, a Christian rock concert this weekend. You, want, you should bring your kids out. And he would say, can they bring their Christian marijuana? <laughs> Why not? They, they are persuaded in their own mind that it's okay. The same mind God told you, don't lean under your own understanding. So let every man be persuaded in his own mind obviously has a context to it. And has some limitations to it. No respect of an holy day obviously has some context to it and has some limitations. Right? So if you go about establishing your own righteousness, then what you are doing is not submitting yourself to the righteousness of God. And you're ignorant of God's righteousness. You're going to be doing something stupid in the name of Jesus. Don't do that. Find out what God says about it and do that. And don't let some liberal fool convince you, you can, you can raise that skirt up higher, it's okay. Well, yeah, you can. You have full liberty to do that. But God said, if your thigh is showing, you're naked. So, and it's a shame for you to display your nakedness. So can you raise that skirt up? Absolutely, go for it. Can you put on some skin-tight jeans? Absolutely, as long as you're persuaded in your own mind. Is it the righteousness of God? No. No, you and some other person decided it was okay. You didn't check the word of God and say, well, it's really not the best thing to do. So I'm not doing that. I would dress like a lady. I'm going to be modest. I'm going to cover myself. And so, same for guys, running around these tiny little shorts. God said, if your thigh is showing, you're naked. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. That's not my standard. That's what the Bible says. And that you're not supposed to display your nakedness. So cover it up. 
Well, I don't see what's wrong with it. I know you don't see what's wrong with it. it what you just said is, I, what you, a better way for you to say that is, I'm ignorant of God's righteousness. So I'm going to do what I want and say that God's okay with it. And that's what Christians do. Daniel's not doing that. Paul's not. Paul's saying, I love Israel. I sure wish they'd get saved. They can't submit to God's righteousness. They're ignorant of it. But if they would at least believe in Jesus Christ, they could receive the righteousness of Christ. And so that's why they're in the mess that they're in. And then he, he said repeatedly that they deserve this confusion of faces. Daniel admits that Israel deserves the confusion that comes with their sin. Look at Ezra 9. This is repeated multiple times. to this same, Remember, this same group of people. Um, you have Ezra and Nehemiah. This is the same people, but this is after the return. <clears throat> Ezra 9, verses 1 through 8. And this is... Ezra is another. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel are unbelievable characters in the Bible. They're just known for their integrity, their honor, their faithfulness. Just incredible men. Chapter 9, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8 real quick. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations, even of the, the Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and Ammonites and Moabites and Egyptians and Amorites. They just built, they're, they're in the process of building the temple, or at this point it may, it may have been finished. I don't remember exactly what chapter they finished it. And, and this is going on. It's like, and, and I guarantee you these people are helping build the temple. We love the Lord too. You were just over there acting like a Moabite. Well, God, God is gracious. I'm about to crack you in the head with one of these stones is what's about to happen. Like, what's wrong with you? How do you trick yourself into thinking I can live like the devil and tell people I belong to Jesus? How do you do that? And so here you have the Jews. Yeah, let's build the temple of the Lord. You were just at the, 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 the altar of Baal. <laughs> well, you know... All roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. <laughs> but several of them lead to hell. And so it's, it's, it's insane. Verse 2, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and of their sons, so that the, that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, and the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. I can't trust anybody. Verse 3, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment... And my mantle. Now, you know what they would say to that man today? You're a fanatic. What's wrong with you? He just started ripping his clothes because people married people he didn't think they should marry. Now, the proper way to phrase that is they married people God told them not to marry. That's a serious problem. It's very, very clear. Look, I don't understand how only three men, Daniel, Ezra and Nehemiah seem to be the only men concerned with the fact that we, we just came home after being captive for 70 years because of what you're doing right now. What's wrong with you? Why would you immediately show up and start doing it all over again? 
and they're just walking around with their Moabite wife and their Hittite wife and their, you know, bale bush and all that garbage with lights on it and acting like everything's fine. And Ezra rinses garments and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down a stonied. Has sin ever, ever moved you like that? That's what this is. It's sin. And he's broken over it. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. You got any friends like that? I hope so. If not, the Christian life's going to be very lonely. If you don't have friends that tremble at the word of God, that are concerned about the word of God... (laughs) You're going to be the bigot everybody's talking about. You're going to be the fanatic everybody's talking about. Why are you so concerned about that? It's such a petty thing, is it? What, tell me, what other sin is petty? What other sin did the blood of Jesus Christ, could, could, could Jesus Christ have spared his blood for and, and let slide? Nobody else to put it that way. Oh, well, <laughs> we mean Well. I just don't think. I know you don't think. That's exactly what we're talking about. You've established your own righteousness. You don't care what the Bible says. You don't care about the word of God. You can't read Ezra sitting there broken and astonied and really care. What's wrong with him? <laughs> he must be just a grumpy old man. No, he, 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 he trembles at the words of God. That's who he is. And if God's word doesn't have that type of value to you, then... None of this is going to matter. Um, And everyone that trembled at the words of of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And said, oh, my God. Does that sound familiar? I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day and for our iniquities have we, our kings and priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands and to the to the sword, to the captivity, and to spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. He said, you sent us into captivity for this, and here we are doing it again. Lord, please don't take away this little space you've given us. Please don't take. That's exactly what Daniel was praying. I think Daniel foresaw this. I think Daniel, he read that and he said, 70 years with Cyrus, 70 years? It's about to happen. We're about to go back. We're not ready. As soon as God looks down and sees what his people are doing and how they're living and who they've married and all this stuff that's going on. Oh, we're going to be in so much trouble. So Ezra gets back and he finds out it's exactly as Daniel had thought. And so Ezra, concerned about the word of God, 
rents his clothes, falls to the ground, lifts his hands up in the air and begins crying out to God, please don't take this away. Please let us have this little space of reviving. Help us. Look at, um, back to Daniel 9. God takes sin very serious and and it concerns me that we don't take it as serious. We're not as concerned as God is about it. Um, So he says we... Because of this trespass, we deserve this confusion of face. Uh, look at verse 8. He sort of repeats the same idea. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. The connection between sin and confusion is strong in God's word. If, if you're going to live in sin, the next state of mind is going to be confusion. It'll be, it'll be an individual that you can point to. And then as that individual evangelizes and wins people over to their insanity, it'll grow. And then it'll be societal. So we look at entire cities in America right now and we say, uh, God has given that place over. There, there's no other explanation. How do you get an entire medical industry in an entire city to say, we don't know what a woman is. How did you get a medical degree? How did you make it this far and you don't know what a woman is? You know exactly what a woman is. You're participating in the confusion or you are actually confused. It's one of the two. Either you've decided to go along with the lie or you have been given over to a state of confusion. You don't want to be there. He said, we have sinned against thee. Um, It'd be good to remember sin doesn't just like float around in the ether. It doesn't just exist in the world. It's against God. So, so when, when, we, when we do this, we set up, go about to establish your own righteousness, you're sinning against God. You're not just creating some kind of karma or negativity that exists in the world. You are transgressing against God. And people forget that. They say, well, I, I sinned. Oh, sorry. No, you don't understand. That went directly against God. And if you're a Christian, you're washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood to save you from that. And you want to go participate in it again? Why? What is wrong with you? And so sin is against God. It's an act against God. So yeah, but all I did was tell a lie. Yes. I know you think that's all you did because what you've done is you've established your own form of righteousness. Well, it was just a little lie against God. But I lied to him. Yes, but that action is against God. Well, I just don't see it that way. Okay. Well, it looks to me like you don't see it all. <laughs> You're just stumbling around in darkness and, and, and telling people that you see the light. It makes no sense. Uh, look at verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against Him. They, the, the same God they sinned against is a God of mercies. The same God they rebelled against is a God of mercies. He's a God of forgiveness. Now look at the word. It's not forgiveness. It's forgivenesses. 
It's, it's a plurality of forgiveness. It's not just God just says, I forgive you. It's like he has <laughs> a wide range of things he has to say. Yes, that one and that one and that one. And he needs that one and she needs all those. And so it's like you, you've got to, he's got to make all this available to put up with us or uh, we would be in serious trouble. Look at verse 10. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So the prophets are brought up again. God's method of delivering his word to Israel was through the prophets. And anybody here remember Hebrews 1.1? God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made... Anyways, it goes on and on and on. So the point is that that God, in the past, the way he spoke to the fathers, the way he spoke to Israel is through the prophets. And, and they hated him. They hated the prophets. <clears throat> Despised them, beat them, murdered them. Look at verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Now, we're going to read at least one of these, but write down, let me write these down. Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26 verses, I want you to see this, this is incredible, 14 through 46, and then... uh, Deuteronomy uh, 28:15-68. Now before we go there, so if this is verse 14, how many verses are before it? 13 verses. If this is verse 15, how many verses are before it? This is what you're about to see. In both of these passages. All right, so Leviticus is the giving of the law. It's, the, it's like the defining of, of the priesthood, the law. It's the definition of it all, right? Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's what Deuteronomy means. It's like the second giving, all right? For 13 verses, God said, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. For 14 verses, God, in Deuteronomy, God says, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And then... 32 verses in Leviticus, he says, if you disobey me, I'm going to punish you. And for 53 verses in Deuteronomy, he says, if you disobey me, I'm going to punish you. That's that's a pretty lopsided load. (laughs) Look at Leviticus 26. Let's just read that one. We We don't have time to read both of them. Leviticus 26, and uh, we'll read verses 14 through 46 as quickly as we can. And listen to this. Now, now look at, um, first look at verse 1. You shall make you no idols, nor graven, image, nor, graven, nor graven image, neither rear you upstanding image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and Reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord thy God. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, verse 4, then I will. Are right, you see that? 
See how that works? He's laying it out. He said, all right, if you do what I say, this is what I will do. And it, and, it, and it goes on and says, I will give you rain in due season and land and yield your increase. And verse 5, and your threshing shall reach. I mean, it's, it's all blessing, right? Same, same thing in Deuteronomy. He says, you obey me, it'll be blessing after blessing after blessing. No disease, no enemies, peace in the land, fruit flowing everywhere, honey. I mean, everything's going to be great. All you got to do is obey me. All you got to do is keep me first. That's it. Then verse 14. <laughs> What about the other end of it? But, <laughs> that's a powerful word in the Bible. <laughs> a very powerful word. But if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. Uh, consumption and and the burning egg that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall uh, sow your seed in vain, and for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me. Now you see what just happened. All right, if you disobey me, this is what I'm going to do. And if that doesn't cause you to begin to obey me, here are the next steps that I'm going to take. There's a progression to it. That's how in 2 Chronicles 36, we get to the point where God says, I have no remedy. You went too far. There's nothing I can do now. I have to do this. I didn't want to. I tried. I sent the prophets but times. I begged you. I pleaded with you. I had compassion on you. And you went too far. So he says, and if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heaven in, as iron. That would not be a good heaven to have. I don't know much rain that comes from iron. I mean, that's God's saying, I will lock, that's like a prison. I will lock your heaven down. There'll be nothing. It'll be as iron and your earth as brass and your strength shall be spent in vain and your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me, by these things, see what just happened? We're going to take it further. If that doesn't cause you to repent, we're going to take it further. And if you will not, if you will not, not be reformed by me, by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times more for your sins. Why would you sin? Why not just get it right? Uh, especially in light of this. Verse 25, 20, yeah, 25. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, 
I will send the pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, <laughs> and they shall deliver you your, your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Now, that'd be the worst part. Like, man, look at all, ten women. I got all this food. Ten women just bake me all this bread, and I'm starving. I eat all this bread, and I'm starving. I have nothing. Just empty. That'd be the worst part. Like, I could understand not having the bread and starving. But having a stack of bread on the table, and you just ate it all, and it, and it, you will not be satisfied. God's going to... That, that's the worst. But God's going to put it in front of you, give you all of it you want, and it will never satisfy you. You're just going to keep wanting it and keep wanting it and keep needing more and keep needing more. Verse 27, And if you will not, for all this, hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me. Here we go. We're going to increase it more. Then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. Oh, God wouldn't do that. God is love. Uh, God just very clearly said, play around and find out. Test me and see if I don't do it. Don't toy with God. We think, well, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's not going to do a thing to me. <laughs> it, is a, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Where is that written? Hebrews, the New Testament, to Christians, right? In the New Testament, God's telling you, don't play with me. Don't toy with me. It will not go well for you. Now, is he going to do this? Not likely, but he is going to chastise you. This is a direct promise to Israel, but it should demonstrate to you how far God is willing to go to try and, and inspire you to repent. Turn around. And if you want, then I'll take it further. And if you want, then I'm going to take it further. And if you want, then I'm going to take it further. And if you make me take it too far, there will not be any remedy. Take the remedy. Turn around. Uh, verse 31, we'll read just a few more verses. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be ast astonished at it. Now, what was Daniel's prayer about? The desolation of Jerusalem. Right? We're talking about, in Daniel 9, the desolations of Israel. Verse 33, And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it uh, lieth uh, desolate, and ye be in your enemies' land. Even, when, uh, e even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. That's exactly what God said he was doing to them. You disobeyed my Sabbath. I'm going to take you out of the land and then the land will enjoy her Sabbath because you won't be there. As long as it lieth desolate, 
it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts and the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth. It's like you can have the most powerful fighter jets, you can have the biggest navy, be whatever you want, but if God decides you're going down, a leaf is going to have you running. Like, but I've got this big gun. It's like, well, what was that? <laughs> that's, that's you being a coward because God put it in your heart. You're not going to win. Not if God's against you, you're not. And they shall fall one upon another, as it were before a sword, when none pursueth. Hey, why are you falling down? I don't know. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> Just falling all over the place. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away. And so you, you get the point. It just goes on and on and on. And uh, that's God's promise. If they're going to live in disobedience. If you'll obey me, it'll be fruitful. It'll be wonderful. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be great. If you're going to disobey me and you're going to reject me, I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to chastise you. And if that doesn't cause you to repent, then I'm going to increase it by seven. And if that doesn't cause you to repent, then I'm going to increase it by seven. And it just keeps going and keeps going until Israel became so hard-hearted, they said, no, we're not repenting. God said, okay, I have no remedy. You're going away. Your land will enjoy its rest without you. But you won't enjoy any rest. Daniel 9. You'll be captive in a foreign land serving foreign gods and scared of a leaf. Verses 12 through 13. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. And it is written in the law of Moses. So we just read that. He said, God brought upon us exactly what he wrote in the law of Moses. All this evil has come upon us, yet made not we our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Daniel confirms that God did exactly what he promised he would do. And uh, you and I, we can trust God to keep his promises. Now, just I need everybody to listen. Raise your hand if you believe God's going to keep his promises. Amen. Everybody believes that. Praise the Lord. The good ones or the bad ones? Both. I'm afraid Christians have in their mind that God's only going to do me good all the days of my life. Not if you're out acting like a devil. Are you going to go to heaven when you die? Absolutely. You're washing the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not losing your, you're not losing your salvation. That's, that is a biblical fact. But God might beat you with a belt from here until the time you die. Why live that way? 
Why not try and do right and have God bless you and enjoy God's blessings rather than constantly, rather than being a rebellious child of God and having God have to chastise you continually until you get right? Um, let's read verses 14 through 15. I'll try to get through all this tonight. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renown as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Now the Lord, it says the Lord, this is an important point that caused people to lose their mind. The Lord watched the evil, right? It says he watched it. Then it says he brought it. So the evil that came upon them, where did it come from? God. Now we read, we just read in Deuteronomy, God said, I will cause you to eat your children. And people, well, God wouldn't do that. I mean, God, God didn't mean that he was going to cause them. It's exactly what he said. Stop apologizing for God. If it says that, guess what it means? What it says. All right, now, God's use of evil is what? It's righteous. It's good. It's just. We think about evil, and we think about evil in the hands of evil men. And that's never righteous, good, or just. It's, it's just evil. God's use of evil is always righteous, good, and just. That doesn't mean you have to like it or understand it. Like I, I feel like if I were God, I would not be saying, if you don't obey me, I'm going to make you eat your children. But I'm not God. I'm not righteous. I'm not, I'm not just. I'm not holy. Thank God for his holiness. If it wasn't for his holiness, uh, he'd be out of control. That means, that means that whatever he's doing, though we don't like it, or we don't like to think of God doing those things, whatever God is doing, it is righteous, it is good, it is just, it is holy. Every time. You mean eating people's babies is, is righteous? It's, it's not eating people's babies is righteous. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. The level of punishment he has to apply to a rebellious people, the level of evil he has to use as chastisement to a rebellious people is righteous. Nobody's saying that eating babies is righteous. Obviously, that's, that's insane. God didn't say that. I'm not saying that. But what, what God is saying is that if you're going to go out to establish your own righteousness and you're going to remain ignorant of my righteousness and you're Israel, I'm going to punish you harshly. And if it doesn't cause you to hearken, to repent, I'm going to increase it by seven. I'm going to make it worse and I'm going to make it worse with the intent that you will repent and turn back to me. Now, the, the greatest act of 
righteous evil is what? The cross. Now tell me you wish God hadn't done that. Had his own son brutally murdered in our place. That's evil. It had to be done in order for your sins to be forgiven. In order for your soul to be saved. Look, at, look, at, look again at Isaiah 45. This makes people uncomfortable. They're like, ah, well, God is, God is good all the time. Isaiah 45. <laughs> Welcome back, Quinta. Uh, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun from, and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. Wait, who creates evil? I, the Lord, do all these things. Where did evil come from? According to God, he created it. All right, now, this is the caveat. This is where people are like, well, I just don't think you say that about God. Well, God said that about God. I didn't say that about God. It's right there in plain language in the Bible. And then he exclamates it by saying, I, the Lord, do all these things. It was me. I created evil. Now, here's where people are going to get confused. They're going to say, oh, then God sent people to do evil. No, that's not what that said. God knows how to use evil for his purposes. And when he uses evil, it's always righteous, good, just, and holy. Every time. You and I have no clue how to use evil. And God told you and I, stay away from evil. Now, back to what we've talked about earlier. How do you do that? Fear. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. God said, I created evil. I did not expect you to fill your mind with evil continually. I did not expect you to go and, and participate in it. The, the, Jeremiah said, the, the, the structure of this world, it, 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 it is structured in such a way, the fabric of reality is structured in such a way that if you live evil, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt others. God doesn't have to come and do anything. Jeremiah said to the, to the king and the queen, he said, thine own wickedness shall correct thee. Your, your own wickedness is going, to, it's going to hurt you so bad, you're going to be like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. All right, so this is what we're not saying. God created evil, and so he has, he, he's forcing people to run around and kill each other and rape each other and steal from each other and, and commit all these heinous acts. That's not what it says. It's not consistent with the entire Bible at all. God said, I created evil. I know how to use evil for my purposes and I use it for chastisement, and I use it for, for, for correction when I need to, but you don't know how to use it. 
You stay away from it. Same thing with anger, uh, with, with uh, vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, not yours. You don't know how to use it. Be angry and sin not. When that anger turns to wrath, you went too far. You don't know how to exercise wrath. God does. Leave that to God. All right, so when it comes to using evil, you need a righteous God who knows how to handle that. You and I, we don't have a clue. When we do it, it's for selfish, fleshly purposes, and so it is nothing but pure evil. It's not God trying to bring about some righteous event. God used evil on the cross, and because God used evil on the cross, now we can have our sins forgiven and your souls can be saved. That was a horrific event that was used in in a righteous way by a holy God. Now, the people involved that did it, they were just evil. They were participating in what God told them not to participate in. They didn't have to be the ones to do it. They wanted to. In fact, those men who did that stuff, that, that was their career. Just filthy, dirty men. All right, so now that everybody's uncomfortable, verse 16, let's move on. Daniel 9, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger. Okay, now we're going to get to the request. After all that, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have done wickedly, we, we hated your prophets, we disobeyed the law of Moses. Uh, We have confusion of faces. You did exactly what you said you were going to do. We can trust you. We believe you. Now will you hear my prayer? I'm in sackcloth. I'm in ashes. I'm hungry. I'm starving. But Lord, I'm not going to touch food or make myself comfortable until you hear my prayer. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, Because for our sins and for our iniquities and for our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. So after repeatedly acknowledging Israel's sin, then Daniel makes his request. Please turn your anger. Though we fully deserve your wrath, the people became a reproach just as God promised. He said, look, we deserve this. I am fully admitting that. Would you please turn away your anger? Your word said in 70 years you were going to send us back. It's, it's almost that time, God. Would you, you're not going to like what you see when you come and look at Israel. They have not changed. In fact, they, they, they're wearing Babylonian garments and drinking Babylonian wine and bowing down to Babylonian images and marrying Babylonian women. You're not going to like what you see. Would you please turn away your anger? Let us go back and reestablish the law of Moses. Let us rebuild the temple. Uh, The people became a reproach, just as God promised. Let's look at a few of these. Actually, they're on Jeremiah. Well, most of them are in Jeremiah. Let's look at them real fast. What time is it? We got just enough time, maybe. Jeremiah 24. We'll go through them quickly. We'll just look at the ones in Jeremiah. This is interesting because Daniel said, we are a reproach to all the people. Jeremiah prophesied this was going to happen. Jeremiah 24, uh, verse 9. And I will deliver them 
to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall, uh, I shall drive them. Now, the interesting thing about the word proverb, and uh, this verse really highlights it. A, we define a proverb as a, as a wise saying, right? T- generally, that, 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 that disconnects it from the reality of its existence. It's not just a wise saying. It happened to somebody. God just told these people, I'm going to make you a proverb. People are, when, there's going to be a wise saying about what happened to you so that when somebody hears it, they say, I'm not going to tempt God like that. I'm just going to fear God and uh, I don't, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'm not doing that. And so the word proverb, it, the, the, the connection is that, it, that it's something that actually happened to somebody. And so that either you can not have a negative outcome or if it's a proverb that will produce a positive outcome, it became a wise saying so that you can just read the saying and either avoid their result or have their result. So God says, if it's a negative proverb, this happened to somebody, I'm telling you, don't be slothful. Don't be a fool. It's not just a saying. It actually happened to somebody. Or you want to be wise, you want to have knowledge, you want to have understanding, do these things. And and, and this is what happened to the people who did this. So it's not just a saying. It's it's attached to reality. And so, so applying it to your life or not applying it to your life, it's going to have some serious consequences based in reality. So be, choose wisely. Uh, chapter 29, uh, verses 17 through 19. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the, the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten. They are so evil. <laughs> and I will persecute them with the sword, and the famine and, and the pestilence and will deliver them to be removed uh, to all kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and an astonishment and an hissing and a reproach among all nations whither I have driven them. And then it repeats it in chapter 42, verse 18, chapter 44, verses 8 through 12, and then twice in Ezekiel. But uh, Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel 9, and we'll finish out the chapter. Let's read verses 17 through, or not the chapter, the the section. Let's read verses 17 through 19. Um, Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. God said I would make it desolate. Don't, Don't toy with me. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolation our desolations and the city which is called by thy name, for we do not. Sorry, um, uh, for we do not present our supplications before thee, for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear! O Lord, forgive! O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. All right, so Daniel prays about Israel's wickedness, and then he makes his plea for Jerusalem and God's sanctuary. Um, the, the order that he, that he 
of requests that he makes to God is hear, um, forgive, and hearken. Right, so he, his, his request is, God, would you please hear me? And uh, would you please forgive us? And would you please hearken unto my request? And my request is, we are your people called by your name. That city is called by your name. Temple is called by your name. <laughs> Would you please, please hear your people and uh, not be angry any longer? And um, uh, he, he brings up the, the fact that it's thy name, thy city, thy people. He says, look, we, we belong to you and we're a reproach to all nations. So, Lord, that kind of means, uh, oh, God, oh, Father, uh, that kind of means that you're a reproach also. You, know, you don't want that. <laughs> and so he's, he's kind of, you know, leaning on God's willingness to, to look, this is the thing. He, he knows God promised in 70 years we can go back. Daniel just doesn't want anything to hinder that. Daniel doesn't want anything to prevent that. And the only thing that can prevent that is God's anger. Would you please hear? Would you please forgive? Would you please hearken? Please send us back and let us reestablish in the land. And, of course, God had every intention of doing that. But if you were in as bad a shape, if you knew what shape Israel was in, and you knew that God was about to show up and do something, you'd be terrified also. Let me put it this way. What if God showed up tomorrow and said, let's go inspect your church and see how everybody's doing. And I'll decide whether you get to stay here or I send you to be slaves somewhere based on how everybody's doing. Would that motivate you to be a little more concerned about your brethren? (laughs) You'd be walking around saying, you better stop doing that. (laughs) God's coming. You better stop. And instead, we're just like, I don't care what they do. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.